Thank you so very much, Terry and Lisa. So good to see you this evening. How are you doing? Doing well? Welcome to this service at Grace Fellowship. Today we are wrapping up this series on leadership. And our text today is coming out from the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look today at some of the things that have made Jesus such an incredible, luminous communicator. We're going to see how Jesus communicated with large groups of people. And over and over, we see genuine care and attention from the heart of Jesus. And this kind of communication requires work. Why did Jesus go through all the trouble and hard work to communicate well, both as a leader and as a friend? And it's because of the love that he had and has for all of us. All the work that Jesus did to be a thoughtful communicator came out of his heart of love. Communicating well is actually a loving thing to do. If we love someone, we think about them, what they need, what could be needful or helpful to them. But if we only care about ourselves, the way that we communicate to the people around us is going to be completely different. Love is work. Communication, communicating well is work. So let us jump straight to our first point and see how Jesus was a wonderful communicator because he chose the setting carefully. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, verses, uh, verse 17, that starts saying, He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there. Now, what we are about to read, many scholars call the Sermon on the Plain. Many think that this sermon is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount that we see in the Gospel of Mark. So he is describing pretty much the same message that Matthew describes on the Sermon on the Mount, but the setting is different. This time, Jesus chose a level plain, perhaps a plateau on a mountainside. I think that Jesus knew that when we have something very important to say, you will do everything to create an environment that helps you and doesn't hinder you. That is why Jesus carefully chose the places where he gave his sermons. The Sermon on the Mount begins on Matthew chapter 5 and 1 by saying, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. Jesus chose a place that obviously was a natural amphitheater. And later on in Matthew chapter 13, verse 2, we read the following. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Now, if you think about it, we all do this. We all choose the setting very carefully when we have an important message to give. 
When a young man wants to tell the girl of his dreams that he's in love and that he wants to marry her, he spends a lot of time and thought into planning the setting for that proposal. Many of you can probably remember that very special moment in your life. My proposal was something else. <laughs> My wife right now is in the Atlanta airport. She's with a Guatemala team and they're coming back tonight later on. So she's not hearing this, so I can tell the story, right? <laughs> but it was November of 1999 in Guatemala. I was a missionary there. And she had come down for a few weeks to do, uh, go through a training that we did, and that's how we met. I was actually her official translator, right? And it was towards the end of that month, and um, I knew that she was the woman that God had for me. And it, it was a Friday night, I believe, and uh, I was just dying to propose to her and ask her to marry me. So it was late at night in the nice, warm, breezy, jungle night in Guatemala. We were uh, chatting in the lobby of the dorm. There's all these people around us. It's the end of the day, everybody's tired. We're getting ready to go to our different dorms. We had lobby time, and we were sitting on the windowsill. There was no glass, right, just the opening. And we were sitting on it, uh, both of us leaning against the sides of the window, and our feet on the seal, kind of touching almost. Very romantic, right? <laughs> and um, it was just the right time of the, of the night. The stars were so bright. It was so beautiful. It just, it just had to happen. Now, there were some rules, right? This was a missionary uh, compound in a training for missionaries and so on. One of the rules was no physical contact, and no holding hands, right? So I'm thinking, how am I gonna propose without holding her hand, right? So the only thing I could think of was I took my hand and I grabbed her toes And I looked at her eyes, and I said, Jamie, will you marry me? And she said, yes. <laughs> the setting is very, very important. It makes all the difference. It makes it memorable. When you have something important to say, make sure you have the right setting. So whether you are popping the question or maybe talking through um, difficult cutbacks with your staff, the setting is very important. And that's true even of worship services. Let's take a look at a story in Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 7 and 9, that talks, talks about the importance of the setting. It says on verse 7, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. 
Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into deep sleep. I hope nobody here is sinking into deep sleep. As Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Right, so this is the book of Acts, the story of the early church. And the church had done some things tremendously well. The way they were loving and caring for each other is still a model for all of us now. They had miracles. They had healings. Even that night, there was a miracle. If you read on the story, you will find that Eutychus was dead on the floor, on the ground, and they came down where he was, they prayed over him, and he was raised from the dead. But there were other things that the church was still trying to figure out. For instance, it sounds like that room might have been pretty warm. A bunch of people jammed into a room upstairs with a lot of burning lamps. And Paul sounds like he lost his watch that night, <laughs> preaching until midnight. Eutychus was probably just sitting in the window, hoping that some breeze will come his way to keep him awake. I think we've learned a few lessons since then. For instance, nobody here is sitting on an open window I'm only going to be preaching for another 25 minutes or so. I'm not staying here preaching until midnight. I'm not going to fall asleep preaching, and I hope you don't fall asleep listening to me preaching. It is nice here. It's not freezing cold. It's not too hot. This entire room was designed specifically for moments like this. And here at Grace, we, we take this hour together very seriously. During our worship service, people are making life-changing decisions. Decisions to accept Christ. Decisions about maybe changing vocations or staying on a marriage or perhaps break an addiction. So let us all be mindful of that during our worship time together. One of the best things that you can do during a service is pray, pray for your heart, pray for the hearts of those around you, whether you know them or not. Pray that the Holy Spirit will do his work in our lives with, without any hindrances, that any distraction will be neutralized, whether they're internal or external, and that the Word, the living Word of God, will have freedom to be planted into our hearts. When Jesus had something important to say, He loved people enough to thoughtfully consider the setting. Now let's look at our next point. He understood His audience's need. Let's read Luke 6, verses 17 through 19. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, 
and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who have come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Last week, Pastor Rex talked about Jesus and how he went on, went up on a mountain and he prayed all night and then he came down from the mountain and chose his 12 disciples. And then right after that, all of them come down from the mountain to this crowd that was waiting for Jesus, to this wild mixture of people from all over Judea, from all over that entire region, Jews and non-Jews. And even in this story, we can see how Jesus Christ has the power to bring people together from so many different backgrounds. And the crowd that day waiting for Jesus was full of people who needed a miracle. Just imagine what the crowd must have looked like. Mothers with sick babies, people who had been uh, lame since birth, blind people, people disfigured by skin diseases, even leprosy, people missing limbs. And on top of that, there were people who were possessed by demons. And they were all longing and hoping that they would be the one to get this miracle worker's attention that day. And after they spending the entire night with his father in prayer, Jesus is vibrating and exploding with heavenly power. People just had to touch him, and they got healed. He healed everyone. Not one person in that crowd went home disappointed. No one left without a new life. He healed every single one of them. Can you imagine watching that? Can you imagine being right there and seeing all these miracles unfold right in front of your eyes? People getting healed from all kinds of diseases. Seeing a dozen, maybe hundreds of people whose life get, got changed dramatically in a single day. What would you be feeling? What would you be believing after witnessing that? If you were a disciple or a follower, you may be thinking that you were ready to take over the world, that this thing that God was starting was going to be incredible, and you were so glad that you were right there being part of that. It was a dramatic demonstration of God's power. The crowds were healed. But even after that amazing day of signs and wonders, Jesus had a message for his followers. Jesus knew what was in his disciples' hearts. He knew that for them it would be easy to lose perspective after the day that they had just experienced. And Jesus brought them back to reality. And he reminded them in so many words that his kingdom was not of this world. Let's look at verses 20. 26. Blessed are those who are poor, for yours is a kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, 
for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the sin of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. What Jesus is saying here is this is going to be an upside down kingdom. You haven't seen anything yet. Jesus loved people enough to meet them in their place of need. The, the third thing that made Jesus such an amazing communicator is that he gave his listeners more challenge than comfort. He didn't just relate to people where they were and give them comfort. He challenged them to step it up to a brand higher new level. In verse 27, we read the following. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. They had never heard something so preposterous. To love their enemies, to love those Roman soldiers that were oppressing them, to love the Gentiles who hated them so much. That would be like Jesus telling us to us right now, love those God-haters out there. Love those aggressive atheists. Love all those who disrespect everything that you hold sacred. Sometimes we want Jesus to take our side in opposition to others. But Jesus says, love them. Verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Instead of cursing them, we ought to be praying for them. Years ago, there was a great book out called Praying Daily for World Leaders. In this book, there was a list of 365 world leaders and one that you could pray for each one of those days. Among them were people whom you may consider despicable people. But what a great idea in that book to pray for those instead of criticizing them. And verses 29 and 30 say the following. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. That message was not disturbing just to that crowd in the first century. That sounds disturbing to us too. Don't stop them 
Don't persecute them. Don't sue. Are you sure, Jesus? And Jesus looks right at us and says, yes, I'm sure. Verse 31 says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And that's the golden rule. Do you know one thing that made Jesus, that makes a great communicator? A great communicator is someone who doesn't just talk the talk, but he does it. He herself or himself walks the talk just like Jesus did. Look at the cross. And when you see Jesus on the cross, you will see him turning the other cheek. You will see him praying for his enemies. You will see Jesus giving more than what's expected. And you will see Jesus not retaliating. Jesus knew that people are motivated more by challenge than by just comfort. And Graham Lotz tells about a military recruitment day that took place in a high school assembly. All four branches of the military were represented and every one of them was told to speak for 10 minutes. But the guy from the Air Force spoke for 18 minutes and the guy from the Navy and the Army took even longer than they were supposed to take. So finally, the principal leaned over to the Marine recruiter and said, you have three minutes. In three minutes, the bell is going to ring and everybody is going to be out of here. So the Marine recruiter, when it was his time to speak, he stood silently in front of the audience for quite a long time. And he just looked at them up one side and down the other. And then he said the following, the Marines are looking for a few good men and a few good women. I'm not sure if I see anyone here today, but if you think you qualify, meet me afterward. She says there was a much longer line in the Marine recruiting uh, line than in all the others put together because young people wanted to be challenged. And I think uh, that is true of all of us. It's one of the things that made Winston Churchill such a great communicator as well. When he said, I have nothing to offer you but blood, toil, sweat, and tears. Now, a leader who doesn't understand that will attempt to draw people by promising, promising ease and security. But deep down inside, people want to stretch. People want to grow. Good, better, best. You shouldn't rest until the good becomes better and the better becomes best. And Jesus was challenging these people to be better than the world around them, to be countercultural, to step it up a notch. And he is challenging us here the same way. In verse 32, 
Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. People of one race find it easier to love people of the same race. Republicans find it easy to love other Republicans, and Democrats easily love other Democrats. Patriot fans love Patriot fans. Cowboys fans love Cowboys fans. But Jesus is saying you ought to be different. Step it up a notch. Love people by crossing over boundaries. In verse 35 through 33 through 35, Jesus says the following, And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. You see, the reason why Jesus was challenging people to step up was so, was so that they could become more like God in their character. The amazing thing about God is that he doesn't just love the holy, but he loves those who are in rebellion against them. And if we want to be more like God, we've got to be the kind, we have to be the kind of people that are kind to everyone, even those who demean us. In the next two verses, we read, be merciful, just as your father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This concept of mercy can be a little bit difficult to understand. Now, if you want a mercy workout, follow Humans of New York on Facebook, on Instagram, right? If you don't know anything about Humans from New York, let me give you a quick, quick history. There was this guy, Brandon Statton, he was a bond trader in Chicago, and he lost his job. And he decided to move to New York City and take 10,000 random street portraits and post them online. So pretty soon, he started to post snippets of conversations that he had with his subjects. And that added such drama and dimension to his photos, to the point that now, he has 18 million followers on Facebook. But these portraits and interviews he captures are incredibly raw. It's amazing what people will confess to strangers. You will see stories of hope, loss, frustration, 
love, and more. And you begin to see yourself in some of those stories. For instance, this past summer, he posted a photo of a young woman with the following caption. It reads, when I was six months old, I was dropped off at an orphanage in northern China with a little note pinned on my shirt. It only had the name of my village. The orphanage named me Gawana, which translates to girl from high mountains. My mother decided to adopt me after she received my picture in the mail. She was 45 at the time and she had recently gotten divorced. She never had children. So it's just been the two of us my whole life. I remember one time in high school, we got in an argument and my mom got very emotional. She started crying and said, we can't fight. It's just the two of us. We have to stick together. At that moment, I realized how much I had changed my mom's life. She'd known from the start, of course, but I was something, it was something that I needed to learn. And you know what? This series called Humans of New York could very easily be humans of Albany or humans of ancient Galilee because people are people. No matter where you go or when you live, some things just come with being humans. Someone once said, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. That's why these words of Jesus resonate just as clearly today in this sanctuary as they did on that plain by the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago. We have more in common with that audience than we, we might think. We have all felt cheated, overlooked, discouraged, tired, needy. Christ knew that. Christ knows us. He gave comfort, yes, but he also gives us a challenge, something to aspire to. Jesus loved people enough to say difficult things to them. Now let's go to our final and fourth point of tonight's message. He kept their interest with humor and with illustrations. The very first assignment of any communicator is to keep the attention of the listener. It doesn't matter how helpful or how challenging the information we're sharing may be, if nobody's listening, it's of no value. We must capture and keep people's attention. Jesus used stories to get people's attention and to make lasting points. His stories were classics. Who hasn't heard of the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son? 
But Jesus also used quite a bit of humor when he was teaching. We must be careful with humor here because humor changes, obviously, with time and culture. What is funny today may not be funny in five years. What is funny in the American culture probably will not be funny in the Japanese culture. So humor in the Jewish culture in the first century was overstatement, was uh, exaggeration, hyperbole. When Jesus would say, that's harder than a camel going through the eye of a needle, people would laugh. So let's look at verse 39, where it says, He also told them this parable, Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Well, verses 41 and 42, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, people will laugh at that. It was easy for them to see that picture. And Jesus used humor to make an unforgettable point. Don't criticize other people when you've got a bigger problem yourself. I remember growing up, my mom will use that verse and make that exact point. And she will say it in a funny way as well. And it really got imprinted in my mind. Now, Jesus closes the sermon with this illustration. Verse 46, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, I put them into practice. I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Now that's memorable. That has impact. We can see that picture very clearly in our eyes. So because Jesus loved people, he did the work to connect with them emotionally. So now we've come to the end of the chapter. But before we wrap up today, I want to jump back to a verse that we didn't cover, which I believe holds the key to unlocking everything that we have been talking about. Not just today, but in this entire series on leadership. And that is verse 45. Let me read it to you. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. 
and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what it is in your heart. Let us think about that for a minute. In this series about leadership, we have talked about character, confidence, credentials, compassion, courage, companions, and now communication. This verse tells us that you can get all the knowledge you want about these topics, but what you put out will only be as good as what's inside. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, you can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if it doesn't come from a heart of love, it's like a banging gong or clanging cymbals. It's just noise. 2,000 years after he died, we're still learning lessons from Jesus because everything that he did came from a heart of pure love towards others. We said that good communication takes work. And there's got to be a reason you're willing to put in the work. And that reason has to be love. Your love for those around you. If it's just to win or to get what you want, eventually that will become very clear to the people that you are leading or communicating to. On the other hand, if your motivation is love, that will come out too. Leadership gives us plenty of, of opportunities to show love. But make no mistake, leadership is never the end. It's the means. Love is the end. And maybe you're here tonight visiting, maybe you've been coming here for a while, and you're ready to receive that unconditional love that the Father has for you. I pray that you take a step today. I pray that you talk to someone or come to the prayer corner at the end of the service or make a prayer right there where you are and ask God to forgive you to fill you with his presence and his spirit. Ask him to redeem you and accept that beautiful, wonderful, unconditional love that he has for you, that he has for me, that he has for all of us. Let's pray. Father, this evening I give you thanks for all the lessons that you have given us on leadership. We give you thanks, Lord, for modeling how to be righteous, how to please God, how to love the Father, and how to love those around you. I pray, Lord, that all these lessons that we have been learning for the past weeks will come true in our lives, that we will put them into action, that we will make what is good, better, and then best, that we will be comforted by you, but also challenged 
and that we will communicate to others the most precious message we can communicate, your gospel, your love. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.